0: I'm my love By the gasworks wall Dream the dream By the old canal I kiss my girl By the factory wall the old town Clouds are drifting across the moon. Cats are prowling on their beach. Springs a girl from the streets at night. Where the old On fire, I smell the spring on the smoky wind. Dirty old town, dirty old town. I'm gonna make me a picture once, shining. An old dirty old town, dirty old town. I met my love by the gasworks wall. Dreamed a dream by the old canal.
1: TITR 101.9 FM, this is the Ink Studs, the radio show about what, Marielle?
2: Comic books and
3: geeks and awesome things.
1: Awesome. Uh, my guest this week is, uh, I didn't check to pr- how to pronounce your name, Jeff Lemire? That's right. That's right. That's uh, hooray. Um, we were just listening to uh, an oldie but a goodie, uh, Pogues off uh, Rum Sodomy and the Lash. Probably their, their best album. I'd say it's the best call, yeah. Um Dirty Old Town. Lovely little ditty by Shane McGowan, the man with the nicest smile in the West. Um, how you doing today?
4: Uh, I'm doing good. You're doing good?
1: Yeah. Um, Jeff is one of Canada's He's... rising stars. Can I say that, Jeff?
4: Uh, if you like, sure.
1: There we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm a proud Canadian boy, eh?
4: that's
1: what i am there we go i'll agree to that one there we go okay you eat uh tim horton's donuts and uh lots of bacon yeah there we go um the three books uh first off is the mammoth essex county from uh top shelf the i don't want to call it an omnibus because i have this weird thing about the name of omnibus right now <laughs> the complete essex county yeah. We'll call it that. Uh, and The Nobody from Vertigo, which yeah. I quite enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed all this stuff. And Sweet Tooth, which just started last week. Yeah. Your new ongoing series. You've put out a lot in the last two years.
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm lucky that I'm a fast drawer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How old are you?
4: Uh, I'm 33.
1: Okay. Um, now... Let's I guess start out with uh what got you into comics. Your okay. your early days of loving comics and development of cartooning <laughs> abilities and however that goes.
4: Yeah, well I um I mean I just uh grew up like probably most people, I just, you know, grabbed whatever comics I could find at the the corner store or the grocery store when I went uh, shopping with my mom when I was a little kid and most of it was uh, you know, D C or Marvel. Superhero stuff, and uh, for whatever reason, I always had a stronger attraction to the DC stuff. I, don't know, I was never a big X-Men fan like a lot of guys our age, but...
1: Don't worry, uh, I'm not either.
4: I was uh, you know, a big Teen Titans and Legion of Superheroes
1: fan. You know, I could uh, never get the Legion of Superheroes. I just never understood yeah, that. Yeah, a lot
4: of people have the same. You, you either don't get it, or you, you're a fanatic. There's not much. <laughs> you
1: know. Well, what would draw me to the legion of superheroes
4: uh i don't know what we draw to you now <laughs>
1: <But> <laughs> now that you're... i'm not a pubescent boy
4: yeah when you're uh eight years old a bunch of superhero teenagers in the future is pretty cool
1: <laughs> <laughs> named yeah. cosmic boy and yeah, lightning lad and saturn girl
4: there you go come on how do these thing... big, uh, superhero soap opera in the future you couldn't go wrong
1: now the teen titans i understand yeah they were good. Yeah. Not to say that the Legion superheroes weren't good. It's just, I guess, so much baggage within it.
4: Yeah. Well, there are, there are about forty thousand characters in the team, so that doesn't help.
1: And it's all in the future.
4: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, I screw up reading that stuff, and was always drawing comics ever since I was, you know, four or five years old. Just constantly copying stuff that I'd, I'd bring home, and um, you know, I never—it was never something I aspired to do as a living for sure, I just, uh, it's always my passion, and um, as I got a bit older, I, you know, my tastes, my comic taste, obviously changed, and I got into uh, a lot of the early Vertigo stuff when I was sort of in my, probably mid-teens or whatever, Hellblazer and uh, Sandman and all that stuff, and then from there you kind of, that's the gateway to like, you know, Dan Klaus and... Robert Crom and Charles Burns and all that great stuff. <laughs> the, and then uh,
1: this know, sounds uh, familiar to myself.
4: Yeah, there's no going back after that. So, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I went. I went away to school in Toronto. From uh, obviously, I grew up in Essex County, and
1: uh, so it is an actual place.
4: Yeah, it is. It's uh, Windsor is part of Essex County. Windsor is sort of the biggest. Town in Essex County oh okay it's a bunch of tiny little farming communities surrounding that where, where I grew up so.
1: see in BC we don't really have that whole county yeah aspect yeah
4: well it's, it's your loss trust me <laughs>
1: <This> <laughs> is one of many things
4: yeah uh yeah, so I went to film school in Toronto, and I was going to be a, a great movie director, I thought, when I was eighteen. You know, <laughs> and, and that my that was the, you know that dream was crushed really quickly. And I, when I realized how expensive film is and how how hard it is for someone who's kind of introverted like me to try to communicate any kind of honest idea through a whole bunch of actors and a crew and everything it takes to make a film, it just didn't suit my personality at all. So. Uh, you know, probably near the end of me studying film, I got really, really back into comics again and started to see that as a, as a way for me to tell stories again and to just be able to sort of have an un- unfiltered kind of way to express myself. And that was probably, uh, I don't know, I graduated 10 or 12 years ago, and I just started drawing comics every day. And did a lot of really, really bad comics for a long
1: time. <laughs> a lot of stuff we won't see.
4: Yeah, it really bad stuff, but, you know, it was always, hopefully always developing and pushing forward, and and then, uh, you know, I got to the point where I started putting up mini comics and stuff, and everything else kind of happened really quickly within the last, you know, three, or f- three four, year, five years.
1: Yeah, it really seems like it all kind of snowballed real quick.
4: Yeah, I mean, it does seem like I kind of, a lot of stuff came really fast, but there was, like I said, there were years of... <laughs> Thousands of pages of comics that, you know, just sat there. no one
1: saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was just like, uh, I remember when the Essex County books came out separately and like, there was like, yeah, there's going to be a book, you know, and it just seemed surprising that like, I don't know, know just seemed like all of a sudden out of nowhere and there's just this volume of greatness.
4: <laughs>
1: I, I really, like, I, I was really surprised by Essex County, I'm like, oh, it looks good, and then just, there was so much depth to it.
4: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I had sort of an advantage in that. I I was completely finished the first volume before I found a publisher. Um, So by the time that actually got picked up by Top Shelf and they got it, you know, put it out and everything, I was already well into the the second volume. So that's, I think that's why everything seemed to come so quickly.
1: Now, tell me about the, I guess, the nexus of Essex. I didn't mean the alliteration. (laughs)
4: That was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's uh, you know I, at that point I'd been away from home for living in Toronto for like a decade or so, and like with I guess with anything when you kind of get some distance from from a place where you spend a lot of time, you get a better perspective on it. And um, you know, when I was a kid growing up on the farm in a small town and stuff, I I hated it and couldn't wait to leave. But <laughs> as an adult looking back, I could kind of see it with you know fresh perspective and. So I kind of wanted to go back and sort of explore that, what it was like to grow up in a small town and and really use that as a way to explore uh, what I knew as, I guess, the Canadian experience, which would be, you know, small town life, family, hockey, <laughs> comic books, <laughs> whatever else, you know, was important to me growing up. And it kind of snowballed into this big epic following, you know, one fictional family over almost a century in the small town.
1: hmm. So, is your own family have that kind of interconnectedness with the community?
4: Uh, no, no. <laughs> I think it's all like anything when you start to write fiction you you know romanticize things and and you make nice little connections and thematic you know connections here and there, and you build things around a structure where you know real life doesn't really follow those kind of neat little structures
1: well that's the the really the thing I guess with essex um especially is it's a really isolating story like you yeah. don't really see a, a, a larger community there
4: yeah you really do just see that one family and you you kind of get a hint at how they may be connected to the rest of the town but it's really you know it really does follow one one family story in the, in a small community and when you're growing up in a small place really often you don't know much beyond your own family you know until you kind of leave and see the, the world at large <laughs> <laughs> at least I didn't you know
1: um hockey
4: yeah i love hockey (laughs) (laughs) i you know i've always played hockey and since i was a little kid and i still play every week now and what's your position uh, i'm a left wing yeah i said that weird didn't i i'm a left wing (laughs) it's
1: like i'm a communist
4: (laughs) i'm a left winger how's that there we go yay Uh, uh yeah so i play every week and i i follow the leafs passionately and uh and, uh, you know, I really, to my mind, there hadn't been, you know, there hadn't been a great hockey graphic novel yet. <laughs> <It> <laughs> was, I would be lying if I, I was said I, I didn't kind of have aspirations to create that. <laughs> I don't know well, if it's funny it or not, but I, I tried, you know.
1: I, I like hockey is an important part of it. But to me, it didn't seem like it was the fact that it was hockey, but more that yeah. something had to unite the characters.
4: It was. It's really important to me. I mean, I, I'm I'm really passionate about hockey, but it was important to me that it could be, like, anyone could pick up the book, uh, you know, anywhere in the States or here, and they didn't have to know anything about the sport to really oh, yeah. understand what I was trying to communicate. It really, it's just a metaphor. You know, it's a, a vehicle to explore characters. and um, Yeah, it was important to me that, you know, hockey is important to it, but it's not... I don't know. It, it's about family and it's about the characters, and hockey just seems happens to be one of the the unifying kind of things that, that kind of uh, follows this one family over the generations. And you don't need to know the sport or be passionate about it to really.
1: I think uh, the the one interesting thing is maybe the 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 role or the juxtaposition the Leafs play, or not necessarily juxtaposition, but the uh, how. Th- that kind of rise and fall kind of goes with the characters' lives yeah. too.
4: In time, you know, I I actually didn't plan that, but <clears throat> now that you, you mentioned it, it's kind of, it is kind of funny how the sort of the, the fall from <laughs> greatness <laughs> that the least experienced after the '60s really does follow the the main character there, and that's uh, kind of interesting. I hadn't really noticed that.
1: It's kind of like a crescendo.
4: Yeah,
1: because you know there were some good times later on with the with Dougie Gilmore. That's on the radar, you know. Yeah, you know, and I so that's... the
4: Dougie years. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have hope. I'll never give up hope, you know, because you know a hockey fan without hope, you might as well just be a senator's fan, then,
1: you know. Oh, oh that was just mean.
4: I know, but they deserve it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a I'm a West Coaster, and. uh I'll admit, I actually haven't been a very devoted hockey fan for the last several years, but I'll still support the Canucks. That's
4: the thing about hockey. You can go away for a few years, and it's always You'll, easy to get back.
1: So we'll back always back. have this deep, undying hatred for the Calgary Flames.
4: Oh, <laughs> see, I like the Flames.
1: Really. Oh, well, yeah. maybe we'll just have to end the interview now. Yeah, fine. <laughs> um Actually, I'm going to do a quick song break, because we're about 20 past. Yeah, sure. Um any song you'd like to hear in particular
4: is this one of the ones I picked
1: or it's all stuff you picked and I was able okay. to find that uh, Pride of Egypt track
4: why don't we play that one and then I'll explain why I picked that afterwards
1: alright we'll be right back with Inkstead CITR 101.9
5: Screaming himself. Those bridges to that island in the well They landed you and I could tell
1: My bad. I played the wrong song. That's okay. (laughs) That was uh, Vancouver's very own Destroyer with Chosen Few. Yeah. Very good track. Very nice.
4: Yeah, I listened to a lot lot of Destroyer when I was drawing Ghost Stories, so I thought I'd pick one of those tracks.
1: Perfect. It was a a swell track. I hadn't listened to. I don't think I've even listened to the album it's off of. So. Yeah, I love that one. I'll check it out. Um, Just for folks listening, I'm talking to Jeff Lemire right now. His books are Essex County uh, the nobody and sweet tooth. Uh, up next, I'll be playing an interview I did earlier today with the, uh, very fantastic Jerry Moriarty. Uh, week after that will be, uh, Brad McKay, um, about Doug Wright collection and also the, uh, organizer of the Doug Wright awards, which my guest right now, Jeff Lemire is one of the recipients. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Apropos, uh, Moment of uh, mentioning, um, you've won a fair amount of awards for the old Essex stuff.
4: Yeah, I, I did really, really well with. <laughs> you <laughs> cleaning up, yo? I had a good year last year with the awards, for sure. It was nice, but uh, you know, that's probably the last award I'll ever win. So.
1: Oh, shush! Ah, uh, you know. Now, um, the nobody is kind of a it feels almost like a continuation of essex county to me is it
4: um well it's certainly
1: same community
4: uh you know i really i I started it uh pretty much immediately after finishing the last essex book so there wasn't really a lot of time to step back and you know evolve between projects for sure so i think it's uh it's not surprising that it feels like a continuation in some ways, and I think more than a continuation. And maybe it was a bit of a reaction to the Essex County stuff, and just that I wanted to, you know, still explore those themes that I, I enjoy exploring in my stuff, but maybe put a little twist on it and tell a little more of like a, a little more of like a pulpy kind of genre story as well with it, and kind of turn some of the themes of Essex County on their head a bit and have some fun. So.
1: Yeah. And you, you really played up. I love the little uh, faux covers in there.
4: Yeah, those were fun.
1: That was the the different genre yeah. of of great DC comics of days past. That's right. So, how did that uh, project come up? Did the DC um, just really love Essex?
4: I uh, well, one of my top shelf uh, editors or publishers, Brett Warnock, he um, he was good friends with Bob Shrek, who was at the time an editor up at Vertigo, so. But had kind of mentioned that Bob was a big fan of Essex County stuff and that he would probably be pretty receptive to me sending him some stuff. So, on that tip, I kind of pitched a few things, uh, the nobody being one of them. And, you know, it, it got approved fairly quickly and uh, it just kind of started rolling. So, it was, uh, it was kind of just good timing and, you know, knowing the right people.
1: <laughs> That's funny that uh, most publishers probably wouldn't do that.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I know. But, top shelf or those guys are like family they you know anything they can do to help you know they're going to do and, and vice versa we just there's not a, you know they know that me doing a vertigo book is just going to get more people to to read essex to buy essex county which has already happened so you know they know what they're doing
1: <laughs> so tell me about the the process of uh, going from working by yourself to working with with brett and chris um because i know they're a lot more or they are pretty hands-on
4: yeah publishers um, yeah, you know, it, it really, like I said, I had already finished the first book of Essex before I approached them, so at that point I kind of established, you know, my, the kind of story I was telling and the way I was telling it, so for Essex County there wasn't a huge amount of sort of hands-on stuff, for the first two books especially. Uh, I kind of just did them and they published them, to be honest with you, and then, but then with the third book definitely we went through some drafts, Chris and I, Chris has a real really really strong story sense and um we both agreed that we just really wanted the third book to if maybe it wouldn't read as well as an individual graphic novel as the first two Mm -hmm. but when it was gonna we knew it would eventually be collected and we wanted just to make sure that it was a strong uh final chapter to like what I had done in the first two books so we were the like I said we went through a few drafts before we were kind of happy with what we had and uh Chris just has a great sense of helping me tie everything together, and you know, cut out the things that were necessary, and just move me in the right directions. So, um, yeah, all, all positive stuff. You know, I, I love working with someone like that who whose opinions I respect, and who, when they do throw ideas at you, they're always the right ones. So, it's a good thing. Yeah,
1: it's a, it's a discussion I've been seeing uh, nowadays especially yeah, on the Comics Comics site, talking about the role of editing in comics. Yeah. And so I'm just curious, like, has it... Yeah, after think- working with that, did it build your your own storytelling skills or kind of give you a new lens at looking through things?
4: Um, You know, that's the kind of thing that it's probably, you know, it's probably still so close to me. I, I don't know how much that, you know, working with those guys has so affected me yet. I probably need some more perspective on it because I'm still... I just finished those books about a year, you know, year and a half ago, and I've just been constantly working since then. So I haven't really. (laughs) It's hard to sometimes you you know you don't really step back and get that kind of perspective on your own work until much later on, you know. So, in time. Yeah.
1: One of the big things of Essex County is like it's kind of a mix between like loneliness and isolation, but the fact that the characters aren't alone. Yeah. It's
4: always what nice answer. Uh, yeah, yes, I mean, yes, it is. It's really yeah. It's about it's about how in a small community um, like that, you're you're so far away from the from other people, like physically uh, often, you know, and the sense of isolation, and loneliness can be pretty incredible. But um, in the end, even though you're so far away from everyone your family and everyone else is always so close by. And, uh, you know, they're always there no matter how far away you go, you always can kind of come home to them. And I think that's sort of what the characters, I guess, learn over time, is that, you know, no matter what they do, their family is always always there.
1: There's one part which I really loved, um, and I actually used it in the interview I was doing earlier with Jerry Moriarty, was talking about uh, the part with the uh, one brother in the city And where he says the city doesn't become a part of you, you become a part of it, and it soaks you up a bit by bit, year after year, yada yada. I won't read from a comic because no one really wants to listen to a radio show (laughs) where someone reads from a comic. But that that was like one of my favorite parts of it. um, Is that kind of that contrasting of being even more alone
5: in
4: this bigger atmosphere? Yeah, I think um, I don't know. I think I think the reason I couldn't wait to get away from home when I was younger was to be alone because <laughs> it was just so hard to have privacy in in my family and just uh to kind of it was so hard for me to kind of become my own person at home and i had to I had to get out and get go somewhere big like Toronto where I could just sort of get lost in the crowd and find myself on my own you know and and i having lived in both Toronto and Essex county, it just seemed like such a a great way to explore two different paths brothers could take and stuff.
1: The kind of the path you did take or you could have taken? Yeah,
4: Yeah, well, yeah, I did take. And, you know, I think at the time and probably even more now, I'm just feeling more and more suffocated living in a city. I'm more and more thinking about moving, not back home, but to, you know, another small community (laughs) (laughs) where I can just be quiet and alone again in that way. So I guess it's it's just something I'm always going through personally as well
1: the fascinating part with that story though is that you see what happened to the brother in the city and it's about his life in the city and that doesn't really talk about what happened to the one brother when he went back home yeah and that kind of like leaves you with the what what happened you know what did happen why what changed with him and
4: yeah it's
1: the big what if
4: yeah sometimes I don't know sometimes with stories I, I storytelling it's it's as important to know what not to show. Uh, is what, <laughs> what to show, you know, you have to be a big part of writing a story. in I guess in any medium, is just self-editing. And yeah, I, I think I, I think it worked. We followed the one brother because uh, I think it. We needed to see him lose lose track of his his younger brother as well we needed to see kind of he didn't really know what was going on with his brother because he had kind of cut off contact and so we're kind of seeing it through his eyes and and like him we don't really know yeah a lot about what went on in those years except for when he goes back so i think hopefully it kind of worked out
1: it's one of my favorite things in in good storytelling where you leave stuff to the reader's imagination like we don't need to be yeah i mean told every little bit part of
4: what how I tell stories for sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. It just you, you, when you start showing everything and just like pulling back every curtain and like what's left, <laughs> <You> know, what's <laughs> left. There's no mystery, no mood, no atmosphere. So You gotta. It's always a balance between what what to show and what not to show. You know.
1: But it makes a good complete set. What's that? It, you, you've made a good a good complete set there. Um, now the nobody. Uh, how influenced were you from like was it jules verne that did the invisible man hd wells. H. Yeah. H. wells
4: yeah ah uh, same thing. same guy it's actually they were the same guy i don't know if everyone knows that or not really no i'm just kidding
1: oh uh don't lie this is radio
4: yeah i mean it, it's the book is it isn't an adaptation of the novel really it's you know, I've always loved those old H.G. Wells and Jules Verne novels, those sort of turn-of-the-century adventure, sci-fi things. are just so fun, and I thought, I, I love the, visually, I just love that bandaged character. He's just so fun to draw, so I just thought it was like a perfect visual kind of symbol for, you know, themes of identity and paranoia and stuff, and to throw, throw that character into a small town and kind of just do my own thing with it. So, you know, other than taking just the initial kind of setup of the novel and it really isn't, you know, uh, it doesn't really follow the same no,
1: line or whatever. not at all.
4: Other than just sort of, uh, you know, a fun homage to something I enjoy. It's,
1: yeah. Well, the neat thing to me is that it's not necessarily the Invisible Man. Yeah. It's just kind of implied.
4: Yeah, it could be. <laughs> it, it
1: could be. But, and it's up to the reader to kind of figure it out if they believe it's invisible. Yeah,
4: there's a couple ways you can read the book and, uh if I've done my job right, there's one way is just as legitimate as the other.
1: So. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and I really appreciate that where it's like, you kind of come out of it going, well, it could be this. Yeah. It could be
4: I that. mean, that's, I I love when I read stuff like that or see, you know, see movies like that where I my you know, my, one of my favorite filmmakers has always been David Lynch. And I just love leaving a David Lynch movie and, <laughs> a couple of days just trying to figure out exactly like what the hell did, did I just see and you know what did it mean and what you know and just kind of piecing it together and just that interactiveness that it creates is so fun and I don't know it just it's just a great way to experience a, a story or something so I tried to do one of those
1: I like to tell people not to watch the last episode of Twin Peaks
4: really? <laughs> like
1: it just you know just just avoid it you know watch the show up till the second uh, last episode because I try to do so that. much in the I end. like that episode <laughs> You like the The backwards talking Yeah And I going do. through The red curtains
4: I love it It reminds me of my family so. <laughs>
1: All right <laughs> <laughs> An odd family uh, I'm going to do Another quick song break Sure And then when we come back We'll jump into A little bit more Of The Nobody And uh, The Sweet Tooth The thing okay. we're working on now And now I'm actually Going to play The oh, right okay, song cool. So right we were back ink stud CITR 101.9.
2: myths that let us up here. of your memory. I'm a ghost to you. Guess that I'm haunting your people's collective memory. Shopping
1: Yeah, Terra 101.9 FM. This is Ink Studs. That song we listened to was Andre Ethier? Ethier? Etier. Ethier. I'm such a West <laughs> Coaster. Um, and the track was Pride of Egypt. Now, uh, tell us about that epic piece.
4: Uh, that Andre was uh, a studio mate of mine when, uh, when I first started drawing comics kind of seriously here in Toronto. You know, and I started just getting ready to start doing a couple mini-comics and stuff. I shared a studio with Andre in in Kensington Market for about a year and a half, and so that's my little ode to him. He's a painter as well, and he used to lead the band The Deadly Snakes.
2: Ah,
4: That's Andre.
1: There we go. Um, Tell me about your artistic process, because you are incredibly quick.
4: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean... I, I'm just lucky in that the style that I kind of seem to have developed just happens to be one that lends itself to speed. It's just a, an expressive sort of loose kind of style, and um, and as a re- as a result, I'm I'm able to turn out pages pretty quickly, which has certainly worked to my advantage. I'm getting a monthly book and things like that. So, um, yeah. But as far as the process, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. I just uh, I used to kind of work from really loose scripts, not not scene by scene or dialogue or anything, but just sort of really loose plots and just kind of take on one scene at a time and, you know, write the dialogue for that scene and then draw it. And, um, but now working with DC, it's, it's gotten a bit more structured where, <laughs> you know, I have to basically just because their structure, their editorial system is still set up for, you know multiple creators working on one title like you know yeah. the, you know writer pencil inker, or whatever so you kind of still get paid that way and you still the system's still set up that way so I still have to hand work in in that sort of order so as a result I kind of have to write full you know tight scripts and then pencil everything and then ink it and it's you know it's it slowed me down a bit but probably in a good way where I've kind of it, it, take, it lets me take a little bit of a step back before just diving into everything and just, just kind of a little more polish on stuff which is which is good and hopefully i'm still not losing kind of that loose sort of expressive style that i like
1: so. um it must be or one thing that's, that i was thinking about is there's not a lot of on monthly titles for vertigo guys that both write and draw
4: yeah i don't think there are any right now i mean they're the only one i can think of was young liars yeah Steve Lapham, but that got canned. So <laughs> maybe that's my fate as well. <laughs> Hopefully not. But, uh, yes, uh, yeah, I mean, even in their history, there haven't really been a lot. I mean, Vertigo is a real writer-driven imprint, you know. It, you know, from Neil Gaiman to Garth Ennis or whoever else. You know, it's really always been a writer-centric kind of place. And then,
1: Lord, there's been some terrible art.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, there has there's been some good art too, but you know, yeah. it's just that just. You know, you put out enough comics over enough years it's gonna happen, but I think it has yeah, it hasn't really been a place where a lot of cartoonists or, you know, writer artists really found a home for whatever reason. Um so I guess yeah, it is kind of unique in, in that respect.
1: Um, now tell me about where Sweet Tooth came from and
4: uh <laughs> I don't know. It just I, popped uh, up, it, this
1: little guy with little... It,
4: it did kind of pop up, I'll be honest with you. Antlers. Uh, I was working on The Nobody, and Bob Shrek, the editor, my editor, sort of hinted that Vertigo had a, some monthly slides that they were going to tr- try to fill over the next year or two, and that if I had anything, you know, he'd be happy to take a look at it or whatever. So I kind of... I don't know where the antler kid came from. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I think I must have been drawing a kid like that in my sketchbooks just kind of here and there and so it just, you know, like anything, most of my stuff just starts in the sketchbook where like, uh, you know, Essex County all just started with me drawing a little kid dressed in a cape and a big hockey player, you know, and then their story just sort of grew out of the sketches and the drawings and the same thing with this kid of just sort of this kid in the woods with derailers. I just sort of started expanding on it and came up with this big post-apocalyptic action-adventure Epic thing that I'm attempting to pull off. So, um, yeah, I mean it's it's full of different influences, you know. From you know, I've, everyone always mentions the road, and I can't deny that the, the road's a big influence. And uh, but you know, it, just all I love all that old post-apocalypse stuff like Mad Max, and you know, a lot of cool comics like Tim Truman's Scout series and From Eclipse. And uh, you know, it's I really I've always really wanted to do to take a stab at doing something a little more action oriented but but do it take make sure the plot and the action and everything is all just sort of in the background and it's all really just about the characters you know kind of take a different take on it so that's what this is
1: how far out do you have a kind of an idea of what's Uh, going on
4: I have the whole thing you know pretty much written written down in stone at this point it's uh as far as how many issues it will last it's that's that also depends on sales and things. So i kind of, I have, but I, it's important to me. I mean, starting something like this, it's important to me that I get to tell a complete story one way or the other so that when yeah. it's all said and done, people can go back and read it and be satisfied. And so I know, I know the, the last issue of the series is already written in full script and it's just a matter of if that comes at 15 issues or 24 or 36, it, you know, that all just sort of depends on sales and I kind of have different plans in my head of <laughs> how to end it says you know and get to that same end point at different ways along the journey you know so but you know ideally I, I see it being like a thirty or forty issue kind of thing, you know like a three or four year little journey
1: and for me. maintaining the monthly will be no problem
4: yeah the you know the the actual deadlines and getting the work done and on a monthly basis isn't a big deal for me um, sometimes I get a little freaked out thinking about drawing the same characters for three or four years (laughs) and not (laughs) being able to to move on to other things but um at the same time there's something really satisfying in in being able to take a few characters and really create like a a real dramatic long-term character arc and really explore them and have them grow and change over as i do and stuff and that's really exciting so hopefully you know it keeps being exciting and i keep finding ways to make it exciting and it shouldn't be a problem
1: so why don't you tell people a bit about the world of sweet tooth like uh, a bit about it, the character as sure, much as you yeah. can I mean, it's,
4: it's, it can be really complicated to describe so i'll try my best to keep it simple but basically it's uh this little kid with deer antlers who lives in a forest with his father uh, in our first issue and he's never been outside of the woods he's been kind of forbidden to ever leave the woods and uh, his father has sort of told him that outside it's just full of you know, terrible things and they're just safe to stay here. Uh, and something kinda happens in our first issue where the, the kid with the antlers named Gus is forced to, to leave the woods for the first time. And what he discovers is uh, a North America that is just basically empty. It's been decimated by a some kind of a mysterious plague or pandemic, uh, you know, about a decade earlier. And 90% of people are just gone and, um, you know the people that are left are sort of these really savage kind of survivalist types who are hunting down animal hybrid children like him because Mm -hmm. they believe the only children born after this pandemic were these sort of animal hybrids and they they all believe that whatever cure for this disease is somehow you know buried within these kids so they're all hunting them and uh, there's this big bounty hunter dude who kind of teams up with our kid in the first issue or second issue and it's sort of their road trip across this this kind of really dangerous american landscape and kind of trying to stay stay alive and sort of solve the greater mystery of what the disease was and things like that but really it's just a character trauma between these two and sort of their journey together you know where they start at the beginning of issue one and two is going to be really different from where they end up so
1: is it a severely Um, depressing buddy book
4: it's depressing <laughs> on the surface, but it's uh I'm gonna do my best to start throwing some humor and stuff in there later on when I introduce some new characters and stuff to k- keep it balanced you know i can't I don't want it just to be really dark and depressing all the time or else you know <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> people shouldn't cry so much. Yeah.
4: They can cry once in a while, but they got to laugh.
1: Too. What's it like doing, uh, color work now?
4: Uh, it's really cool. I mean, I don't do the color myself. No, it's a, uh, uh, Jose Villarubia does a color and he's like one of my heroes. Anyway, like
1: phenomenal. My,
4: yeah. He's always been my favorite color as long before I met him. Um, and I met him through Top Shelf because he had done some work on a couple of their Alan Moore projects and, uh, sort of became friendly with him at colleges and things. And when I got this monthly gig, I immediately asked him if he wanted to do it and, and asked for it to go. It'd be cool if he did it and it all worked out. And I mean, he's just, he brings so much to my art. It's amazing to get the JPEGs every month in my, you know, my email and to see my <laughs> black and white drawings come to life like that. It's just so cool. Um, yeah, it's really neat. I mean, I, I don't know how well I'd be as a collaborator in terms of writing and writing something that someone else had uh, or drawing something that someone else had written or vice versa but as far as this kind of collaboration with having someone else do the color, it's really fun, because I hate color. <laughs> I hate, you know, I love black and white comics, and that's just how I see my art. I, I can't really think in color, so it's its good to have someone who can.
1: <laughs> do you? Are you able to strip back a little bit about how much black you have in there with uh, the color No, I haven't aspect? changed
4: my style at all, really. I just, you know, if anything, just in, after I've seen the first few issues colored now, I can kind of see certain places where I might add a little bit more line work to sort of add some texture or something, you know, to differentiate maybe a figure from a background or something. I realize I don't need to do that as much because he can do it with color, but, Mm -hmm. uh, I really haven't changed my style too much. If anything, he's just sort of developed a coloring style that meets what I do. So, yeah.
1: The needs of the comic.
4: Yeah. He's, uh, it's, it's amazing. He does, he colors like no one else because most, you know, DC and Marvel comics when they're colored, they're just so over-rendered and especially the superhero stuff, everything's shiny and, <laughs> and like really bright and gaudy and full of gradients and stuff. And Jose does this thing where if you just look at it quickly, it almost looks like flat color. Yeah. But then you, you look closer and you realize it's not flat at all. It's actually really rendered and but it's just done so subtly and uh, uh, he's really an original for sure.
1: No, And, and I, and I kind of like that because there is like a lot of comics where they do like talking about the over coloring and it just seems yeah. it's really uh muted
4: yeah it's a very muted palette and uh yeah i i i love how it looks so i'm really happy with how it all turned out
1: and it's a fine book for people to check out the first issue a whopping dollar it. i know well can, can you say none of that
4: they can they will, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> Hopefully they'll change their mind.
4: And um, if, you, uh, if you mail me your copy of Issue 1, uh, I'll mail it back signed with a sketch. I, you can get all the details on my, my blog. So.
1: And what is the, the blog info? Uh,
4: it's just Jeff Lemire at com.
1: There we go. I may send my copy.
4: Well, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just do that. All right. We'll see what happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'll, I'll have it back with a—I don't know what you'll do to it.
4: Coverless, <laughs> all dog-eared. That's fine.
1: I'm actually my comics are not precious. That's a well, a you know, rule they're meant to, to be
4: read, not, uh, not stored in plastic somewhere. You know? <laughs> no,
1: no, it's always fun finding old comics that have been in those uh, plastic bags, ones from the '80s that are melting now.
4: Yeah,
1: totally. And you just gotta like pull the comic out, and it's just like, <laughs> look at that. No, here's one that wasn't in a bag. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, I think we're pretty much near the end of the time slot here. Um, So you've got, to remind folks, Jeff Lemire, the books are Essex County. Uh, The Nobody, which came out, I guess, what, six months ago? Uh Less than it that, probably.
4: came out beginning of July. Yeah.
1: All right. So the really recent and The Sweet Tooth, which just came out last week. Yeah. And pretty much just The Sweet Tooth coming out from the next long while.
4: Yeah, I got a couple little, like, side things here and there. A couple, I'm in a couple anthologies coming out. And I'm doing a couple other DC projects that I'm not supposed to talk about yet. So, But there'll, there'll be news soon about those. So.
1: All right. Well, looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks so much. And have a swell day.
4: Okay, bye. Bye.
1: So a reminder, folks, that was Jeff Lemire, and we're talking about his books, Essex Canyon for the Fine Folks at Top Shelf, and Sweet Tooth and The Nobody from Vertigo, D.C. Um, You can listen to more Inkstuds interviews at www.inkstuds.com. Next week, I will have uh, be playing an interview I did earlier today with Jerry Moriarty, which was very fascinating, and I think you will all love it. I really enjoyed talking to Jerry, and uh, it was, it really blew me away, a lot to learn, and very much appreciate uh, Jeff taking the time. It was really fun to talk to him. I really, really enjoyed his books, and I think everyone else should check them out, too. Um, I guess we'll end off with uh, John Cale, as per uh, Jeff's requests. So uh, Ink Studs, up next. Uh, Luke and Bryce are going to come in and play some records, and then uh, The French Connection will be on at 3.30. <laughs>
3: single The authorities say my papers are all in order And if I wasn't such a coward I would run Meet me when all the shooting's over Can bring all your friends along for protection. It's always nice to have them hanging around. But I was thinking about my mother, I was thinking about what's mine. I was leaving. you <laughs>